was music to my ears. Great news, I thought. It looked like Amanda was as perfect for the job as I had thought. That evening, I got a call from my beloved sister-in-law. What were you thinking, she said when I picked up the phone. Huh, was all I could say. I was shocked. I managed to stammer that Amanda said that the meeting was great. Darren, did you even look at her resume? My silence was clearly answer enough, and she kept right on going. You told me you needed someone proficient in Photoshop and who was tech-savvy enough to manage the back end of WordPress. You told me you needed someone who understood the ecology of social media and who, at the very least, could use Google Docs. Darren, Amanda doesn't even know what a Google Doc is, and she's been working for you for a month. I was still speechless. Exasperated, she continued, I really don't know what made you think she would be a good fit, as she has none of the skills you need. Not one. Immediately, I understood where Laura's confusion was coming from. She couldn't see the little love triangle between Amanda, my ego, and me. All Laura saw was an unqualified candidate, and that was clearly something my starry-eyed, she-believes-in-what-I'm-doing vision couldn't discern. Truly wanting to help and seeing that I needed it, Laura offered to do the next round of hiring. She reviewed the applicants as they came in, chose her favorite three, and after interviewing them together, highly recommended one, Maggie. Maggie? I couldn't believe she chose Maggie. I mean, Maggie was fine. There was nothing wrong with Maggie. She seemed competent, responsible, capable, but she didn't light my hair on fire. She wasn't a subscriber to Success Magazine and didn't seem to even recognize the name John C. Maxwell. Truthfully, I was a little underwhelmed. I was expecting fireworks, like with Amanda. Employee love at first sight sparks. There were none. Nevertheless, I decided to follow my sister-in-law's strong suggestion, partly because I trusted her and partly because I knew Georgia would kill me if Laura went through all that trouble just to have me ignore her advice in the end. I hired Maggie. And let me tell you, I love Maggie. She is amazing. Maggie is a freaking rock star at what she does. Maggie has been working for me for years now, and every time we take on a new project or expand in a new direction, Maggie is right there keeping everything running smoothly. Now, I can't imagine my life without Maggie. Far better than simply gushing about the dream, Maggie has the skills to truly impact making the dreams come true. One of the fastest and most common ways to derail your roller coaster car and send it into a fiery death is to hire and keep the wrong people. Conversely, the only way to dominate your industry, accomplish your grand mission, and dent the universe, as Steve Jobs said, is to learn how to recruit, keep, and draw the best out of top talent. In this chapter, you will learn to do just that. The Entrepreneur's Dilemma no matter who you are or how big your company is or isn't, there's nothing easy about finding the perfect people to join you on this ride. And unfortunately for us entrepreneurs, it's even harder. We are notoriously terrible at hiring people, truly awful. Why? Because we're hopeless romantics. If someone shows just a little love for our idea, our hearts start beating faster and stars glitter in our eyes. If someone shows belief in our grand plan, we want to believe in them. We are major suckers for someone, anyone who shows enthusiasm for our cause or compliments us on our shoes. Entrepreneurs see the potential in everything and everyone and are happy to hire on hope alone. And while this unique optimism is one of our great strengths, when it comes to hiring, we're more vulnerable than poor Achilles with his bum heel. An entrepreneur cannot hire on hope alone. When it comes to recruiting and hiring people to occupy a seat on your roller coaster, you can't hire enthusiasm. You need to hire evidence. You do not have the time or resources to train or develop anyone's skill or attitude. Trust me, you've got too many other things going on. You simply need to go recruit people who already have, by evidence, what you need then place them into your organization. This means being extremely rational and pragmatic. 
two words that probably don't appear in the entrepreneurial version of Webster's. You will need to set up a recruiting and hiring process to protect yourself from yourself and stay committed to it no matter who tells you they really think you're onto something. Write this on a sticky and put it on your computer screen. Hire evidence, not hope. Now keep listening. The rest of this chapter will teach you how. The costliest mistakes you can make. If your business has employees already, then you'll be more familiar with the following stat. If you don't have a payroll, brace yourself. The average business has about 65 to 80% of its operating cost consumed by salaries and wages. That's an awful big slice of the overhead pie. Huge. However, as bold or frightening as that statistic is, the true depth of payroll expense cannot be measured in hours in, dollars out terms. That would be misleading and far too simple. There is a secret, unspoken dark side to company payrolls that many don't understand or even know exists until it's too late and their company folds because of it. What is this crippling overhead expense? It's the unofficial price tag that comes with poor hiring choices, and poor includes the good, the bad, and the ugly employees. Here's the truth about each of them. The good. You want good people on your team, right? Wrong. A typical good employee works at about half capacity. By the time you factor in water cooler chit-chat, internet, email, personal business, and a thousand other daily distractions, Half capacity might even be optimistic. The average good employee simply isn't all that productive. The bad. Merely one step below good employees, things get much worse. Unwilling, disengaged employees destroy morale, make costly mistakes, alienate customers, and have all the productivity of roadkill. These employees will cost you much more in intangible damages than the hourly wage you already pay them. The ugly. When I say ugly, I'm not talking about poor fashion or bad dental work. I'm talking about the actual financial cost of hiring the wrong person. If you add up the cost of recruiting, paying, training, maintaining, and severing a poorly performing employee along with his or her mistakes, missed opportunities, and failures, the average cost of a bad hire is about 6 to 15 times the person's annual salary. Bottom line, good employees are barely productive, and bad employees, well, you're just cutting them a check for making you broke and miserable. This is no exaggeration. Do the math. At the very least, even for an entry-level minimum wage job, you're going to pay six figures as a penalty for a bad hire. And for positions higher up in the food chain? Scary. Here's the frightening reality. When you hire the wrong person, you're not only paying them, you're paying them to light piles of your money on fire, spread a cancer throughout your building, and run your roller coaster right off the tracks and into the ground. Do I have your attention? Will you make time and give focus to recruiting and hiring the right people? I hope so. This is a lesson that took me a while to learn and it cost me dearly, but I learned it. I still hate the process. It is my least favorite thing to do, but I give it serious time, attention, and focus because it's the most significant determinant in whether we will accomplish our mission or not whether we will win or not, whether humanity is advanced and the universe feels our dent or not. When it comes to filling your roller coaster ride with people, good isn't good enough. Your only option is to hire great people or you're going to get vomited on during the very first hairpin turn. Ugh. A players only. Let's talk for a moment about this mysterious creature called the great employee. This legendary unicorn wandering amongst endless fields of regular old pony employees is reputed to have mysterious powers. Just one great hire, one A player, unicorn, the legend says, can replace three good ones and an infinite number of lousy ones. Guess what? 
The legend is true. Great employees are truly incredible, and they make your life easier and your business better in every way. Think of when you felt most excited and in control of your business, when you couldn't wait to get to work. Those are the high points of the entrepreneur roller coaster. When the cart is at the top of the summit, and for a moment it pauses so you can take in the view laid out before you like a great tapestry. It's awe-inspiring. It's what we live for. It's the pinnacle feeling as an entrepreneur. Wouldn't you like to spend time there every day? Great employees can deliver that. They can set you free, free from that crushing administrative paperwork, free from the things you aren't good at, free from the things you hate, free from the daily emergencies and decisions that shouldn't consume your days but always seem to. Great people are what pull you out of the screaming dives and blind corners and crushing gravity of the entrepreneur roller coaster. No technology, productivity strategy, or big Kahuna partner can consistently deliver what a great employee can. No, A players aren't mythical unicorns. They really do exist, and they're not just better than the good B players and lousy C players. They're the opposite of them. Here's why. Number one, A players are A player magnets. A players want to work with other A players. This is why organizations like Apple, Google, Virgin, and the like continue to attract A players. A players want to work where other A players work. It's a self-perpetuating attraction mechanism, but only if you monitor and protect it closely. As Steve Jobs said. A players hire A players, and B players hire C players. We only want A players here. Otherwise, you get what he called the bozo explosion. A players won't work for B players, and B players don't want to hire an A player out of protection for their jobs. They pick C's to make themselves look better. As soon as you hire a B player, the bozo factor starts to skyrocket. Before you know it. You're running a circus of jealousy, backbiting, and drama. Your people are your most important recruiting tool. Get an A player on board, and then have them call all their A player friends. Promote your A player to the world of other A players looking to join an A team. A players are like a vaccine for the mediocrity virus, and the more A players you have, the more A players you'll find. Two. A players win. Remember my real estate agent John Lennon. Like many business owners, he was competing in an industry where the products are essentially the same, but he was miles ahead of the competition. I see the same thing everywhere. Even when everyone's selling identical products, there are winners and losers. There's always a market leader, and there's always someone teetering on the brink of bankruptcy. It all comes down to the quality of your people. As Sir Richard Branson said, a company consists of one thing, really. If I buy a plane from Boeing, it will be exactly the same plane that BA British Airways will buy, which will be exactly the same plane that United Airlines will buy, exactly the same plane that Air Canada will buy. So, what is a company? A company is the people that are working inside that plane. The people that are working on the ground—they're the people that make up a company. They either make this company exceptional. Or average, businesses are not profit and loss statements or balance sheets. They're not systems and processes, tactics and strategies, tasks and deliverables. Businesses are people. Give ten companies the same products, and there will always be a number one and a number ten, because it's not about the products; it's about the people behind them. As the legendary former CEO of General Electric, Jack Welch, recently said to me in an interview, the one thing that hasn't changed is the team that fields the best players wins. Number three, A players are free. You might be thinking you can't afford to hire A players. Who could afford that kind of talent, right? I've got good news for you. They're free. That's right, F R E E, because A players. Pay for themselves. Would you pay someone two hundred and fifty thousand a year in salary and bonuses? You would if they brought in and added five million dollars to your business. You'd be underpaying them, in fact. 
Would you pay someone $3 million in annual income with great pleasure and enthusiasm if they helped you grow another $100 million in revenue? Those are the kind of results the right A player can deliver. You just need to ensure you provide them the right opportunities with the right focus and offer the right support. A CEO from one of my private mentorship forums finally came to this realization. He said, The idea that great people are free has changed my business. In the past, I was very reluctant to hire people with salaries above $125,000. After this advice, I hired a very talented and expensive president for my company. As a result, revenue increased three times in two years, from $60 million to $180 million, and more importantly, my stress level is 50% of what it was because I share that with him, not to mention that the company could now run without me if needed. If your business has something worthwhile to offer the marketplace, you can always afford to hire A players. They're free, but B players and C players they're very costly in so many ways. Not only can you afford A players, you can't afford not to hire them. Whenever I ask top business leaders what they attribute the success of their business to, invariably, they say it's the great team of people they have surrounded themselves with. This is not some self-effacing answer. Great leaders know that businesses are nothing but a group of people brought together to accomplish a mission. The better the people, the better chance you have of accomplishing the mission. No CEO climbs to the top of the mountain alone. It requires a great team. Many of these extraordinary achievers will readily confess that most of their team is smarter, more talented, and more skilled than they are. In fact, they will tell you that is always their objective in hiring. Think about it. You're sitting in the first car of your roller coaster with a whole team of people, your team, sitting in the cars behind you as your ride slowly clicks upward. Then at the very top of that first summit, there's that subtle pause before the whole thing plummets downward at heart-stopping speeds. You know it's coming. You know things are about to get crazy. In that moment, would you rather look back at your team and see them huddled up, closing their eyes and cowering in fear? Or look back at your team and see their arms in the air, screams of excitement on their faces, ready to take on the wild ride and enjoy it? I know which one I would choose. Building a high-performance culture. We hear a lot about building a great company culture these days. Let me shortcut this for you. You cannot shape or create culture. The culture of an organization is not a whiteboard exercise done with executives sitting around a conference table spitballing ideas. The culture of an organization evolves around the people who make up the company. The culture is the personality and character expression of the people in it. The only way to shape that culture is to focus on hiring people with the attributes you want your culture to have. Do you want a culture of positive expectation where everyone has a can-do attitude? You need to hire positive, can-do people and remove the people who don't have those qualities. Do you want your culture to be fast-paced with high energy and have a great sense of urgency? You'll need to hire people who thrive in fast-paced, high-energy environments with demanding deadlines. To have a high-performance culture, you need to hire and maintain high-performing people. Fill the seats of your roller coaster with people who possess the attributes you want for your culture. It's as simple as that. Don't settle. It will corrupt your culture and drain the fun and profit from your ride. Recruiting, your key skill. If you're saying to yourself, but I don't like to recruit or I'll just hire someone to do the recruiting, let me stop that right now. When your company expands beyond just you, and it will need to if it hasn't already, the choices you make in the recruiting process are, in effect, determining your future. Just one person can make the difference. Do it right, and one great hire can set you free. Rush it, do it on the cheap, get lazy, become fearful, ignore the warning signs, or have someone else do it for you, and you're going to ride this coaster right off the rails to certain disaster. Sure, 
You can have someone lead the process like Laura did for me, but you still need to be the final interview, the final stamp of approval, or the final veto. Put it this way, the quality of your life your ability to fulfill your mission comes down to the process you will develop and the choices you will make about who you do and don't allow on board your roller coaster. I'm not kidding. These are life or death choices for your entrepreneurial dreams. Learn masterfully and choose carefully. As Jim Collins, author of Good to Great, said, the single most important thing you need to do is pick the right people and keep them. There's nothing more important than this. Want to double your business? It starts with hiring right. Want to reduce your stress? It starts with hiring right. Want to dominate your market? Yep, it starts with hiring right. Selection, my fellow roller coaster writer, is 95% of success. The best news is that this is completely within your control. This is your company and your dream. You get to decide. And as you'll see, you don't need to have a big brand, deep pockets, or a volleyball court in your lobby to attract great people. What you do need is a simple set of principles to keep this roller coaster on the rails as you start to add people to the ride. Be a master recruiter. Three principles. Principle number one, know what you want. It's one thing to preach the importance of people, but it's another thing entirely to know what that means. What does the right person for your business look like? What distinguishes great from plain old good? How do you tell the A's from the B's and the C's? An A player in your business will meet these three criteria. Number one, they are better than you. George and I were in Barcelona, Spain, and spent the afternoon with an extremely successful CEO and his wife. The more time I spent with him, though, the more I couldn't believe he was CEO of anything, never mind a multi-billion dollar telecom. He was a bit scatterbrained and chewed with his mouth open, laughed too loudly and too long at his not-so-appropriate or funny jokes. I just couldn't understand it. Finally, I managed to tactfully ask him, removing as much skepticism as possible from my tone, how he'd managed to become so successful. His answer? My goal is to always be the dumbest one in the room. What? The dumbest one? Isn't the CEO supposed to be the smartest? As he explained to me, it wasn't his intelligence, sophistication, charisma, or motivational abilities that made him so successful. Trust me, it wasn't. It was simply the discipline of always having the smartest and best people in every chair around his leadership table. If I'm in a meeting with my leadership team and we are discussing a marketing opportunity, he said, if I have a better idea than my marketing director, we are in trouble. If I solve a problem my CFO has been stumped with for a week, we are doomed. If I have an operational efficiency solution my COO hasn't thought of, it's the beginning of the end. I always hire the best possible people for every chair at my table, and then they deliver the great performance. His sole job was to get them to the table so they could deliver, and it's your job too. Number two, they have character. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to have lunch with the chairman of Marriott International. Marriott has a reputation for amazing customer service. Stories abound of Marriott employees going above and beyond the call of duty to deliver extraordinary levels of customer care. I had stayed the night before at one of the Marriott properties, and the approach was evident everywhere. Every Marriott person I encountered, from the front desk manager and the concierge to the room service delivery person, seemed so personable. Not the over-the-top, cheesy, butt-kissing, customers-always-right kind of nice, but genuinely friendly. After so many positive interactions, the first words out of my mouth when I shook the chairman's hand the next morning were, it's incredible, you have to tell me what you do to train your people to be so friendly. He seemed puzzled, then replied matter-of-factly, we don't train our people to be friendly, he said. We just hire friendly people. We just hire friendly people. Five words, 
Those five words woke me up to one of the greatest recruiting keys I've ever discovered. So many businesses struggle with even the basics of good service. And on the surface, it looks like a training problem. But in truth, that assumption couldn't be more wrong. You can't train people to be friendly. They either are or they aren't. You can't train for character. You can't teach people to be disciplined, hardworking, consistent, loyal, positive, friendly, or whatever trait is most important to you. You can only commit to hiring people who already have those attributes. As Roy Williams, the Basketball Hall of Fame head coach of University of North Carolina once said, I recruit character as much as I recruit ability. Want a suggested attribute list? Here's what Warren Buffett looks for. Integrity, intelligence, and energy. And he warns if they don't have that first quality, the others will work against you. That if you hire an intelligent, energetic person who lacks integrity, it will kill you and your business. And he adds, if you do hire someone without the first, integrity, hope that they are dumb and lazy. What attributes do you want? Do you want someone passionate, persistent, bold, reliable, consistent, hardworking? What do you want? Sit down, make a list, and start looking. If you don't know what you want, you can't find it. And number three, they are in love. Steve Jobs said, when I hire somebody really senior, competence is the ante. They have to be really smart. But the real issue for me is, are they going to fall in love with Apple? Because if they fall in love with Apple, everything else will take care of itself. They'll want to do what's best for Apple, not what's best for them, what's best for Steve or anybody else. My mistake with Amanda was not setting competency as the first gate to pass through. But once you cross that bridge, it's time to look beyond the resume. When you're sitting across the interview table with someone, don't just look at their resume. Look into their eyes. Look deep into their heart. Ask yourself, is this the kind of person who could fall in love with what we do here? Do they have the personality, attitude, passion, and heart for the work we do? If the answer is yes, then ask yourself, would they thrive in our company's culture? Would our work environment feel like their natural habitat? A great person in the wrong environment is still the wrong person. One of the most admired company cultures in the country is run by our 2013 Success Achiever of the Year, Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos. If you take a tour of their offices, offered daily, you will see one of the zaniest, wildest, well, weird office environments you've ever experienced. If I were being considered for a job there, let's say, while I believe I'm quite talented and capable, that environment wouldn't work for me. It's just not me. I'm not of that personality. I'd fail in that cultural environment. I'd be the right person in the wrong environment for me and thus the wrong person for Zappos to hire. You have to evaluate people with a yardstick that goes beyond their resume and looks into their heart, character, and personality type. They need to be the kind of person who could fall in love with your culture, your people, your products, and your mission. If they can, then as Jobs promised, everything else will take care of itself. Principle number two. Know what they want. If you've read this far and a voice in your head keeps repeating over and over again, I still don't think I can afford A players. Then what I'm about to say next is for you. Are you ready? Pay close attention. This is important. People don't want what you think they want. Really, they don't. If you're worried about affording A players as far as the payroll is concerned, you've got this thing all wrong. Here's what you're missing. In the same way entrepreneurs like you are reinventing what it means to be in business, employees are looking at work and careers in a whole new way too. This is really exciting stuff. You'll never look at recruiting the same way. Here, according to Brad Smart's top grading book, are the five things employees are looking for in the workplace. Number one, people. 
We've already discussed this. Great people join the Googles and Apples of the world in droves, not because of the dental coverage, but because that's where all the other great people are. Great people want to work with great people. It's self-perpetuating. It's the number one thing people are looking for. Number two, challenge. Great people want to be part of something great. They want work that excites and fulfills them. They want work with intrinsic value, not just work for the sake of work. Actor-turned-producer Hugh Jackman graced our success cover in August of 2013, and he put it this way, Quality talent is attracted to the extraordinary challenge that is presented. Don't just dangle the prospect of a good job. Tempt them with the prospect of quality work. There's a difference, and it will dictate the talent you can attract. Each night, Great people want to climb into bed feeling exhausted yet satisfied by the great work they did that day. Number three, opportunity. Great people want the opportunity to move up. They need an upside, something to grow into. They want to know you're an organization on the go with your sights set on big goals, ambitions, and expansion plans. Additionally, they don't want to be a spectator. Great people want to participate in a company's progress to help make it happen. As Steve Jobs said, people are attracted to vision. Put a dent in the universe attracted like-minded people who shared that vision. That became our advantage. Number four, growth. People have finally realized that the job they pick is going to take up two-thirds of their waking hours. They want to feel good about what they do, but they also want to know that they're going to grow, develop, and become more of who they want to be. They want to be with organizations that invest in the growth and development of their people. My mentor, Jim Rohn, said, Learn to help people with more than just their jobs. Learn to help people with their lives. If you can develop the reputation of being a company that cares about people's lives, you will have more great people knocking on your door than you'll know what to do with. And five, money. And of course, great people want to be paid well for delivering great work. Notice what's most important about this list. Money is at the bottom. That's right, money is not the primary motivator for an A player. It's not even in the top three. They want to work with other great people, doing something challenging and meaningful that enables them to grow in every way. They'll take a job that gives them great work with great people over a crappy job with great pay. So, how does your current recruiting script read? Maybe backwards? Are you advertising a salary in a job description, blah, blah, blah? If so, my guess is you're getting blah, 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 kinds of applicants. It's time to change things up and adjust your strategy. If you're soliciting applicants to fill one of the exclusive seats on your ride, the headline should talk about the opportunity to work with other extremely talented, fun, passionate, high-character people who are fired up about the great mission, challenge, and vision you're trying to realize. Explain how you invest in your people to help them grow, develop, and achieve their goals professionally and personally, then maybe footnote the compensation package. Personally, I never even list the compensation plan. I always just say much better than market standard. That's it. No mention of numbers, no list of the typical benefits. I just make it clear that if they're the right person, I will pay them well. And I do. I always pay better than market standard. Why? Because great people are free, remember? If you want an A-level company, and you're worried about being able to afford it, it's time to change your thinking. If you truly want an A-level company, you can't afford to hire B-level players. Always be willing to pay for the best. Principle number three, the F factor. I recently hosted an elite mastermind event in South Beach, Miami. And when I say elite, I mean very exclusive. Only 28 invitations were extended to a group of the greatest, most innovative minds in business today. While we dined on prosciutto-wrapped scallops on a mega yacht under the stars overlooking the Miami skyline, I had a deep conversation with one of my invited guests, Cody Foster. Cody is one of the co-founders of the multi-billion dollar enterprise Advisors Excel. Yes, I said billion, and yes, I said multi. 
He and his team crush the competition in their market space, and they do all of this domination from their office in the booming metropolis of Topeka, Kansas. Not what you think of when you think of multi-billion, perhaps, but Cody and his company are wildly successful. As Cody stepped onto the yacht that night, I noticed that he was sporting a tan that didn't seem to fit my picture of midwinter Topekans. When I teased him about it, he chuckled. No, he hadn't been to a tanning booth. He had arrived in Miami from his company trip in Cancun, Mexico. Each year, he said, we set what we call a stretch goal, a sales goal that's pretty big, but attainable. If we hit it, we take them to Cancun. Flight, room, food, we cover it all. Nice, I said. That's a great trip for your sales producers. No, no, he said. It's not just the sales team. It's everyone. Everyone? I nearly choked on my scallop. Well, he paused to correct himself. Everyone and a guest. I began quickly doing the mental math. I knew his company employed about 250 people from top to bottom. Double that if everyone brought a guest. And Cody was flying nearly half the town of Topeka to Mexico every year. I asked him if that was even possible, were there enough flights from Topeka to Cancun? We charter a few planes, he said casually. It's pretty cool, actually, to be in an airport that's filled with people and every one of them is your people. Wow, I shook my head impressed. No wonder your business is exploding. Who wouldn't want to work somewhere that not only gives you vacation days, but gives you a full-fledged vacation? Cody looked at me for a moment, and I had the distinct sense that I was missing something. I could see him thinking, considering how to best phrase what he was going to say next. Well, yes, the Mexico trip is really fun, but Mexico itself isn't what makes our company a fun place to work. It's what happens in the process of winning the trip that matters. By now, a small group had gathered, and Cody continued. From the very first day, new employees know that a lot is expected of them. They know that between the hours of 8 and 5, they're giving everything they've got to the job they were hired to do. Whether they are a receptionist, in operations, or working in the compliance department, it's critical that they are looking for ways to connect with clients to find better ways of serving them to build relationships. We're not the kind of office with ping pong tables or bring your dog to work days or themed happy hours every Friday. And Mexico isn't enough. What makes work fun is doing meaningful work. What makes work fun is doing meaningful work. The words echoed in my mind, and I resisted the urge to start scribbling notes on my appetizer napkin. Cody continued, Mexico or no Mexico, even if we didn't do the fun stuff, people would still want to work here because every day it's just a fun place to be. Throughout this hiring process, you have to remember you are recruiting humans. Humans like to have fun. Humans like to love what they're doing. They know they're going to spend two-thirds of their life working. It can't be drudgery or just putting in the time as if they have a prison sentence. Their work, their life, the two-thirds you influence has to be fun, meaningful, and rewarding. Cody's business, Advisors Excel, isn't a fun place to work because of a great trip. A great trip evolved from his company, being a fun place to work. No one knows this third principle of recruiting great people better than Sir Richard Branson. He is the unofficial king of fun, and Branson agrees. Business should be fun. Creating an exciting work culture is the best way to motivate and retain good people. It also means you don't have to pay them as much. More than any other element, fun is the secret to virgin success. But Branson doesn't just talk about fun. It's a guiding principle for how he lives and what opportunities he takes on. He says, I can honestly say I have never gone into any business purely to make money. If that is the sole motive, then I believe you are better off not doing it. A business has to be involving. It has to be fun. That's the F factor. Is your business involving? Do the people who work for you look forward to coming to the office for eight hours every weekday? Does their work mean something to them? If not, it's time you put on your party hat and make some changes because there's nothing more eerie than a roller coaster in motion with no one on the ride. I know that recruiting can seem daunting. I know that there are many, many more B and C player applications coming in for every one A player resume that you read. 
And if you really need to hire someone pronto, it can be tempting to settle instead of holding out for the perfect match. But just like you would tell your daughter who is thinking of marrying a C-player kind of guy, trust me when I say the right one is worth the wait. Putting out the fire with gasoline. If I haven't made myself abundantly clear by now, then here it is again. Your business will only be as good as the people you recruit to join it. Your future and the future of your business depends on your ability to recruit without compromise. Remember this, the bigger your dream, the more important your team. If you have small, unambitious dreams, then you only need a small, unambitious team. If you have big and extraordinary goals, then you're going to need to sell a big and extraordinary team of people on joining you in order to accomplish them. Your employees will change everything about your business. Everything. They're going to be intimately involved with finding and serving your customers, creating your products, marketing your services, and developing the culture that you and everyone else on your roller coaster spend the vast majority of their time either loving or despising. If you want that change to be positive, you cannot settle for anything less than the best. The single biggest mistake I see entrepreneurs make when growing their teams is seeing hiring as a solution to a problem. They hire to put out fires. Don't. Hire ahead of your growth. Hire to conquer new frontiers. Hire to launch new initiatives. But don't hire to put out a fire because the first thing you grab might be a bucket of gasoline. Be smart. Be strategic. Be proactive. And be patient. Only hire the best. And once you load all those great people onto the roller coaster and buckle them in, what happens next? Look carefully, there's only one seat left on the roller coaster. It's the scariest place to sit, but it's also the most exhilarating. It's the front seat, and it's yours. You've got the people. Now it's time to lead them. Chapter 6. Picking up speed. Become insanely productive without losing your mind. Productivity is never an accident. It is always the result of a commitment to excellence, intelligent planning, and focused effort. Paul J. Meyer. To say I am a hardworking guy would be an understatement. The son of an achievement-driven college football coach, I was trained, drilled, and intimidated into working hard and grinding it out. Whatever it took, buckle down, no whining, no crying, no excuses. By the time I was a teenager, I started to realize this was quite an advantage. I was certainly never the smartest or the most talented in anything I competed for, grades, sports, or sales. But I could out-hustle and outwork anyone. I wore it like a badge of honor, applying relentless brute force, I could achieve most any goal I set. By the time I was 35, I had accomplished quite a bit, but I was killing myself. All I was doing was working. Brute force became brutal. I was sacrificing nights, weekends, friendships, vacations, well, most everything. But then I interviewed a few of the greats. I sat down with guys like Richard Branson, Tony Hawk, and Donald Trump. And even though I was working my tail off by almost any measure of success I used, all three of these guys were kicking my butt. They are wealthier than I am. They are making a greater impact on the world than I do. And they have more joy, more freedom, and are taking the time to enjoy the fruits of their labor much more often than I am. When I realized this firsthand, I have to admit, it really ticked me off. There's no doubt that I definitely spend a lot less time frolicking on the beach than Branson does on his private island. I know for a fact I spend less time than Trump does on the golf course. And unquestionably, I spend a lot less time with my personal hobbies, my family, and my friends than Tony Hawk does. Worst of all, I spend a lot more time working than they all do. Here's the epiphany I came to. 
if busyness, long hours, and hard work equaled success, I'd be wealthier and more successful than Richard Branson, Tony Hawk, and Donald Trump. But I'm not, because busyness, long hours, and hard work do not necessarily equal success. That's it, I thought after I shook the Donald's hand and exited out of one of his many towers after our interview. I have to figure this out. How are they doing it? We all started in roughly the same place, with the same 24-hour day and the same opportunities. Yet I'm getting my butt kicked while I'm doing more. There's got to be something I'm doing wrong. And there was. And I bet you're doing it wrong, too. Your success vitals. Let's say, heaven forbid, you're in a serious accident and are rushed to the hospital. What's the first thing that happens? Before they address the gash on your face, before they even think about the bone sticking out of your thigh, even before they contact your loved ones, where do the skilled physicians in the emergency room begin? They start with your vital signs. They don't concern themselves with the extremities or facial deformities. They start with your vitals, your heart rate, your respiratory rate, your blood pressure, and body temperature. Why? Because your vitals are just that, vital. These are the key life or death physiological indicators. What is the point of sewing up your leg if your dropping blood pressure is causing the leg tissue to die even as it's being repaired? Sure, the drama of a protruding bone might be distracting to an untrained eye, but medical personnel know that the discipline of assessing vital signs tells a great deal without asking a single question or performing a single invasive test. It saves precious moments when moments are all you have. This is also true about your business and your personal productivity. There are vital factors that determine the life or death of your business and performance. It's easy to get caught up in the drama of extremities, to respond to symptoms all day and end up with a dead business without even knowing why. The reason is you lost sight of the vital factors, those few things that mattered the most but weren't necessarily the loudest, most urgent, or most obvious, but they were the most important. I have found that most people who read a magazine like Success or listen to a book like this, especially this far, bravo, don't need motivation. They don't lack ambition, goals, or work ethic. They are putting in long hours, sacrificing nights and weekends, and consistently have their nose to the grindstone. Like me, they'll use brute force and whatever it takes, all the while lacking clarity and focus. They are unsure of what to focus on, so they attempt to focus on everything all the time. Thus, they end up overworked, overscheduled, overwhelmed, and still underperforming, maybe even failing. It's not that they didn't work, it's what they worked on that caused the failure. I know you have big goals and an important mission to accomplish. To succeed, it's critical that you intensely focus your time, energy, and resources on those things that matter most, your vital factors, without being distracted and derailed by things that matter least. In this chapter, I'm going to outline the four vital factors critical to managing and leading yourself, your team, and your business. If you can be unrelenting in your focus, accountability, and constant improvement of these four vital factors, you will have your hands on the controls that will allow you to transform one of the most frustrating emotional drops on your roller coaster ride into one of the greatest, most thrilling highs as your ride becomes a rocket ship that can carry you to infinity and beyond. Number one, your vital functions. I got a diagnosis of my productivity problem from a doctor, no less. Not just any doctor, America's doctor. Several years ago, I interviewed Dr. Mehmet Oz for his first cover profile in success. This man is a wizard, great and powerful. I am in awe of everything this amazing man gets accomplished. He is a professor at Columbia University and directs the Cardiovascular Institute at New York Presbyterian Hospital. He's authored 400 research papers, several medical books, and six New York Times best-selling books. He runs a thriving nonprofit, is the co-founder of another successful company, has a four-time Emmy Award-winning TV show, and at the time of our interview, he was still performing over 200 open-heart surgeries a year. 
What's most amazing is that he does it all with grace, poise, and tranquility. When I was with him, he was relaxed, gracious, and adoringly humble. And before you ask, let me tell you, he's also a devoted husband and a father of four. Now you'd have to be a wizard to pull all that off, right? Well, he does have one secret. Here is the secret I was given by the great wizard called Oz. When I asked the question, how on earth? He said, I figured out that every endeavor that you do has a few vital functions. All you have to do is figure out what they are and become excellent at them. He gave the example of open heart surgery. He explained he isn't involved with all the functions of a successful procedure, just the few vital ones. He isn't the one to clean the instruments or make up the operating table or get the supplies ready. He doesn't even do the several dozen procedures happening inside the body cavity that lead up to his vital few. When it comes time for those vital few, he walks in, performs them with excellence and well-developed expertise, removes his mask, washes his hands, and exits, leaving the rest of the procedure to his capable team. The exact same is true for delivering his high-quality TV show. There are a few vital functions he needs to prepare for, practice, and be ready to deliver with excellence. Everything else is handled by the great team he surrounds himself with. It is the same thing for writing books, the same thing for running a charity, and the same thing when it comes to leading a business. There it is. What's the big secret of how to get it all done? Don't. Just do the vital functions amazingly well and build a great team of capable players who are excellent at the rest, which you already learned how to do in Chapter 4. What I realized after our interview was this was the same idea I had applied to my real estate business two decades earlier. I had just forgotten to keep applying it when I changed my business focus. Starting out in real estate, I had quickly discovered there were thousands of things I could get caught up doing, things that felt productive, but really were just a convenient distraction from doing real work, aka prospecting and making sales. Things like setting up escrow files, taking photos of the property, ordering the property reports, setting up termite inspection, meeting with the appraiser, going to the home inspection, putting on the lockbox, attending the escrow closing, etc., can keep even the hardest working agent very busy. They all seem like legitimate tasks that should be done, and in fact, yes, they should be done, just not by the rainmaker. The rainmaker has one job, make it rain. I soon realized there were only a few things that I did that mattered. As the leader, when I did them, we got paid. I couldn't delegate them. They were my vital functions in the business. They were, pitching a listing, negotiating a contract, and prospecting. That's it, those three things. Those were my vital few functions. They were crucial to the business growth, and I was needed to be, and was, great at them. They were the only things I should spend my time on, so I built a team that did all those other things. When I started spending most of my time doing those vital few functions, the business took off like a rocket. Though, I'd be lying if I said it didn't take some practice. Time on. In my real estate business, when I got clear about this idea of doing only the vital few functions, I decided I really needed to drive the message home to myself and to my team. So I bought a stopwatch and wore it around my neck all day. I turned it on every time I did one of those vital three functions and turned it off the split second I stopped. I'll never forget the first day I put that stopwatch to the test. I wanted to set the bar really, really high. I wanted to put in a ton of vital time so I'd have to struggle to match that goal every day thereafter. I arrived at the office with my mind set on doing nothing but vital functions for the next 16 hours. Immediately, I hit the streets for some door-to-door prospecting. I'd walk up a driveway, knock on the door. When it opened, I'd hit the watch. When I was done talking, I'd stop it, repeat. Then I moved to cold calls and did the same thing. If I was pitching a listing, same thing. Start the watch, stop the watch. Negotiating, same thing. All the while, I wouldn't look at the stopwatch. I didn't want to see the number until the day was complete. At 10 o'clock that night, I finally stopped cranking and the suspense was killing me. I closed the final file on my tidy desk, 
let out a sigh, and for the first time since before the sun had risen that morning, I turned the clock over, expecting to see at least 14 hours of vital work logged on the screen. Can you guess what that evil stopwatch said? Not 14 hours, that's for sure. 19 minutes and 54 seconds. Less than 20 minutes out of a 16-hour day. If you had asked anyone in my office if I was productive all 16 hours, they would have said, oh yeah, he's a machine. And I was indeed a constant flurry of activity. But activity is not productivity. After my abysmal failure that first day, I became obsessed. Every day, it was me against the stopwatch as I tried to drive that number up. Doubling it to 40 minutes was a Herculean effort. The first time I got it over an hour, I threw an office-wide party to celebrate. I think in the four-year career I had in real estate sales, I got the number over four hours maybe a dozen times. Which means what? Yeah, a dozen times in four years I worked a half day. I challenge you to take on the stopwatch. Once you identify what your vital functions are, start tracking how much time you actually spend doing them. You will be shocked at how little time you're spending on the most important things, the only things you should be spending your time on. If you make it your mission to increase that number, you'll change your business and your life. Understanding your value. In our July 2010 success feature with Kenneth Cole, he said it this way, success has less to do with what we can get ourselves to do and more to do with keeping ourselves from doing what we shouldn't. Make sense? Sure, but how if the greatest threat to your productivity is keeping yourself from getting awash in low-value activities, how do you make sure you don't mistake a low-value activity for a high one? Here's how I do it. First, you need to know what your time is worth. And I'm not talking about some warm and fuzzy kumbaya terms. I'm talking about cold, hard cash. What does your time need to be worth in order to accomplish the goals you've set for yourself? What's your income goal for the year? 100,000, 500,000, a million? Just divide that number by 2,000. The number you get is the hourly rate you have to generate over a 40-hour work week in the next year. Every hour that goes by that you don't produce that amount, you're falling behind. Got it? No? Well, then try this. For a goal of, let's say, 250000 a year, your hourly rate must be $125. So let's say on January 1 of the new year, you wake up with $250,000 deposited into your bank account. Happy New Year, indeed. Now, every hour you do less than $125 per hour work, $125 gets taken out of your account. Remember, this accounting system is based on doing valuable work, not just busy work. Now, let's say it's December 31st and you look in your account and see there's only $64,375 remaining. You say, what happened? I worked long, exhaustive hours all year, more than 2,000 hours. I sacrificed nights and weekends. I wrote my $250,000 goal down every morning. What went wrong? It's simple. Do the math. Every hour you did less than $125 per hour caliber work, you lost money. If you're falling short of your income goals, it's because you waste time doing low-value work. That's it. That's the only reason. You go to a meeting you don't actually need to attend. You spend 10 minutes chit-chatting in the hallway. You take an extra-long lunch because you deserve it. Do you? Do you deserve it? No, you deserve more than this. When you spend 20 minutes on social media, you are burning time, burning $100 bills. Stop doing that now. All you have in life is time. Your job is to maximize it, particularly when it's on time. No more narcissism. You're probably asking, okay, how do I stick to my three vital functions when all these other things still have to get done? The answer is simple. You need to delegate everything anyone else can do at a lower rate to free up every minute possible for you to do your vital functions. You need to be constantly asking yourself, would I pay someone the hourly rate you just determined 
To do what I'm doing now, ask yourself that when you are commenting on Facebook or organizing your files or driving across town to drop off papers or organizing the icons on your computer screen. If your answer is no, then stop doing it yourself. It's costing you money. You can't afford to do it. You have to delegate. It's funny and kind of sad because most CEOs will stand in front of their staff meeting and in an effort to provide hope and inspiration, they'll say, I once started out in the mailroom of this company and now I'm CEO. But as soon as the meeting is over, they spend the next 45 minutes sorting through their inboxes, processing and responding to their own email. Do you know what an inbox actually is? The modern day mailroom. Congrats, CEO. You have come all that way to just end up back where you started. You already